0: Welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Solindran Buller, your host. Our guest today is a dear, dear friend of mine, Dr. Liz Anderson Peacock. She is an author, a professional speaker, and practitioner. Liz brings a wealth of experience to many conversations. Happily married and grandmother of five children, she is an active meditator, a traveler, a scuba diver, and paddle boarder. As a chiropractor, she continues to see patients, rights, and volunteers in many capacities, both in and outside her profession. She's here to share her journey of walking through fear.
1: Hello, Liz. How are you? I am doing very, very well. And it's such an honor as always to connect with you. This is great. So thank you. You're very welcome. How was your meditation today? My meditation was awesome today. I got into that place of nothingness, lost track of myself. I am finding I actually have to set alarms to come back (laughs) into my body. I love it. And, and you know what, it's, it's, for me, it was the probably the most difficult thing ever to achieve and accomplish. And so I'm so happy with it because I'm always in that beta brain, in that active mind, the mind that just doesn't turn off. And I remember for years I tried to meditate and my idea of meditation was, okay, two minutes, focus on your breath. And at one minute I would stop and I'm like, I'm done. And I struggled. And so now when I can lose myself or a big quantity of time. And you and I have been at seminars where we have been meditating for four hours straight at four in the morning. Yes. How amazing is that? And it brings me beautiful people like you in my life too. Oh, thank you, Liz.
0: So we have a, a number of people uh, that are tuned in. So Liz, I know that something happened in 2017. I want you to share with the listener in your own words. Sure thing. exactly, let up to that, and then walk us through
1: walking through fear. Okay. So I think this is such a great opportunity to uh, use this as a metaphor for so many people right now, because we are in this unknown and my experiences is that in the unknown, especially for someone that likes to try and control your life and have everything predicted out and everything calendared so you can accomplish your goals and tick them off. The unknown is probably the scariest place to be because it's the unknown and that generates a lot of fear. So I think that right now that's, that's a really great metaphor for where we are because we aren't knowing necessarily what to expect. However, It is creating an opportunity for us to to decide who we want to be through this. And do we want to be a victim to the circumstances? Or do we want to overcome all the talk that's going on in our own head and recognize maybe this is time for us to wake up and have new opportunities? So that's a good segue into what happened to me in the end of 2017. I had a lower limb amputation below knee on the right side. And it was uh, 10 years plus in the making of making that decision. And the reason why is I had a certain type of cancer that for the prior 10 years, I had been treating it naturally. And, for, and it actually took about 10 professionals the prior five years before that, so 15 years total, uh, five years before that to get it properly diagnosed. So it was a certain kind of very rare orphan um, sarcoma family cancer and I had been treating it naturally. I really wasn't worried about cancer for myself. It was really more of the pain that I was experiencing because it was right in the bottom of my foot and had grown between some of the, some of the joints in the foot, some of the bones in the foot. Mm. And everything was manageable until 2017. And I had an event where I was walking in Australia up this very rocky terrain and i slipped and so my foot kind of went like this and i just felt it was that gut instinct of just something was so vastly different and the pain that i had managed naturally not with taking anything um i couldn't get a handle on and the only time that i could get a handle was when i meditated and i got out of my body but i mean it was so sensitive that you touch it like that and it would just be it was it was just like needles going into your foot mm-hmm. so there was a different course of action that I needed to take at that point. And at that point I was thinking, well, actually there was a number of things that were leading up to my decision of doing the amputation. So one of them was what we call a mind movie that we do. And Sal is familiar with this. And it's basically a movie that you create that you put yourself into trance and then you watch it. And it's usually, for me, it was all about how I want to feel and what I want to experience in life. So I use photos, and I use music, and it's about four minutes long, and you can watch it over and over. And you're just literally kind of getting into that nice sort of cozy trance-like state. So that kind of goes and embeds in your subconscious. And it was all of a sudden I realized that the photographs that I had of me in this mind movie that represented joy and wholeness and freedom, with the way the photograph was taken, you could not see below my right knee. It was hidden. Interesting. Now it was obviously very very interesting, but yeah, it was it was hidden. So that's kind of a weird little thing to have happen. And all of a sudden, why did I pick those photos that represented this? So that was number one. Number two was we were meditating. I remember at a workshop in Portland, Oregon, that August, and. We were like literally in this field of nothingness where you aren't a body, you aren't a person, you're not a personality. There's there's no, you don't have any sort of regular senses there. You're just an awareness uh, in this void of nothing. And I was getting into this spot of just feeling like I would say I was encompassed with this amazing love, this field of love, except it's not me because there's nothing, there's not a me to be sort So my awareness is infused by this feeling of absolutely being taken care of. And I had a message at that time that came to me and it was the universe is safe. You're so much more than a body part. And I really lost it after that. (laughs) I was like, it was, I I mean, I felt really safe, but I was just like, oh, I hadn't really entertained making a very different decision. And then I was sort of on and off and on and off and making my decision, still hadn't fully committed. And then I was in South Africa in uh, September and October of that fall of 2017. And I'm in this safari region or this area of, Rescued elephants, I'll put it that way. I can't Mm -hmm. think of my names right now. But this one elephant comes up to me and he's like 18 feet tall. He's four tons. He's got these cross tusks, absolutely exquisite. And this elephant and I are having this moment, and all of a sudden I have tears rolling down my face. And I'm just feeling like this connection to this elephant. And I find out later that elephants are very intuitive animals. Mm -hmm. So I'm connecting with this elephant and I get this message from this elephant, literally, that wasn't. Um, definable in the moment, but it was later. And it was universe is safe, let it go. Or let go, let it go. I think it was more let it go. And after I'd had this sort of moment with this elephant, I asked the handler, I said, why is this elephant in this sanctuary? And he said, well, the end of this elephant, African elephants have two extensions off their trunk. And on one of the extensions, he had a plastic bag that worked like a tourniquet and he had to have it amputated. Ooh, okay. Connection. So, like- yeah, <laughs> what is the likelihood of me coming up to an elephant and or he coming up to me, whichever, and that's what happened and that's the message I get. So I took those as all inspiration that, you know what, I'm going to be fine on the other side. And when I started meditating on really the feelings that I wanted to create in my life, joy, grace, peace, wholeness, totality every single time, it was, whenever I felt it, it really, I had this sense of, I am so much more than a body part, just let it go. So I ended up going in for my amputation, and uh, and believe me, it's not an easy thing when you are signing a consent form that basically is saying, I give you permission to remove my lower, like below my right knee. (laughs) It's kind of a weird thing. But what I can tell you is that going into it, I absolutely knew that life was going to be better in this unknown on the other side. But part of my lesson was letting go of how I had to control it on the other side control how things were going to show up, when things were going to heal, when I forced myself to do exercises and stretches and all these other kinds of things, I just had to be really present and to really ride the wave of being present in the moment and let that presence define what I needed to do next and the order in which it was to come. And so I literally meditated that morning when I went in for my amputation. I had my amputation, I did all sorts of things differently. I mean, I had an epidural, I uh, started doing, you know, tuning fork on my spine to, to deal with pain gating. I did mirror therapy. I did a lot of very different things than are very out of the box for what normally people would do. But I can tell you, there were sort of three very interesting things because I had asked a number of friends, I said, can you hold space for me to meditate when I'm in this, you know, the surgical moment, and I just want you to see wholeness and vitality, love, grace, and joy, those kinds of things. And the the song they played when I went in for my amputation was Faith, my sec, the names of my second and third nurse in the amputee hospital, their names were Grace and Joy. <laughs> like, I can't make this stuff up, it was just so bizarre. And I literally was, I don't wanna say I was laughing, but I was really laughing on the inside and i had to constantly catch myself but it was much easier than before with running back into what i kept saying my old liz my old liz would have wanted to do let's you know let's get this prosthetic made as quickly as we can let's get it upright as quickly as we can you know that sort of thing and it was trust that you're going to know when trust the people that do this all the time still ask questions don't be silly about it because i did have there were some errors that did occur had I not asked the right questions and um but it was really an amazing scenario and also catching myself from not getting frustrated so there was a couple of moments where there was lovely teaching lessons that I normally would have been totally frustrated in. and it's like you all of a sudden if this is you you're looking at you making this decision going that's not my new me that's my old me stop it and reset so mm. I th- for me, it's been a journey that has been so absolutely amazing because everything has shown up better than I would have anticipated, sooner than I would have anticipated, and in the most unanticipated of ways. That's the best way I can put it. Yeah. So a amazing. lot of people will go, oh, you poor thing, you had an amputation. I'm like, hey, best thing ever. <laughs>
0: <You know? laughs> like, yeah.
1: Crazy. yeah.
0: So tell us a little bit more, Liz. What was the family going through?
1: This was really interesting. So my husband had a really tough time because he's a very protect, you know, protective male. He likes to fix things, like men generally, you know, that sort of old school. The seventy-year-old man, they like to fix things. They like to take care of people. And my husband's very much of a caregiver, as you know. He's so compassionate, yes. and this was something he couldn't control. And. For him, the hardest thing was when I was actually having the surgery because they did not inform him that there was a two hour delay in me going in and they didn't update him saying, no, Liz is fine. You just, everything's been delayed two hours. So he was frantic Mm. because I knew he was stressing over it. I did have a few friends connect with him throughout the day, check in with him to make sure he was fine. And finally, when they let him in uh, to the room... Literally one of the nurses said, Oh, you're going to go meet your daughter. (laughs) Cause he just looked old because of the, you know, he was haggard. He was so worried. And once he saw me, then everything just kind of, he was exhausted. He was absolutely exhausted. And we went in it together. There's no question as a partner. And he knew that uh, he was in for me being at home for a while and, and figure we're figuring it all out. We're figuring it out together. I had done a number of things beforehand so had he with we prepped some like the bathrooms for making them from you know ability to disability abled. Uh, We moved some things around that way and I did lots of frozen meals before I had my amputation and you know prepped a lot of those sorts of things so it was um, it was difficult. And what made it easier was involving him through the journey and letting him take over certain things that um, gave him a sense of uh, being able to help and control and those kinds of things too. Isn't that something that's so nicely put
0: because, you know, the male, the person that's going through it, you know, is going through it, not having a choice. And yet the person, the observer that's in your life Just like when you're giving birth, you know, it's so traumatic for the male who is in that room watching you morph into this incredible person. Um, No, I and I and I know he's just a wonderful man, you couldn't have had anyone better on this journey with you because he he is a very loving, caring individual. Now, um, speak to us about, you know, there's so many challenges at the physical level, mental level,
1: emotional level, what was the toughest for you? Um, you know, it's really interesting. I mean, there's obviously the, I have a physical change. I, you know, I say, I like to say I'm an amputee, but I'm not disabled is how I think of myself. So there's the obviously physical thing is I do not have anything below my knee. I have my knee, but I don't have a foot and I don't have an ankle. And so I think of it as in the morning I put on my sock and my sock happens to be my prosthetic. And once I'm up and I'm going, that's I just don't think of it as being any different. So for me, from the physical standpoint, it's not that big of a deal, Um, maybe on a minor level for me, you know, with I mean, I scuba dive, I'm in, I'm walking and rock climbing, I'm doing sort of things. So sometimes my foot will get stuck on something or, or, um, I can't get my prosthetic in the right position when I'm scuba diving, coming back up into a boat. And it's just a matter of just settle down, back it up with, you know, click, click, get things moving so that they lock in so I can do it. So it's to to me, the physical piece, I mean, going into an amputation, you know, you're going to be in pain, right? So, um, there was... This mental exercise I did beforehand, it's like, okay, the pain I experience is physiological pain. It's normal. That's completely normal. It's going to be expected. And so I did take drugs. There's, there's no question. I took drugs. Yes, yes. But I was off all my meds within five weeks because I also did a lot of other things. And I haven't been on any meds uh, for pain control or nerve pain since because I do different things that are uh, would be considered very unconventional. And so for me, that really was not the issue. I would say initially the toughest part was probably dealing with the uh, slowing down mentally of what I was able to do in that um, my physicians all said, give yourself six months. And I'm like, oh, okay. Six months for me is a lot of time to not do anything. And the window there was very difficult because I had a lot of people that wanted me to come out and speak and speak to what was going on and the changes I was experiencing. And I wanted to say yes, but I committed to myself six months. So there was a lot of no's in there. And that was very hard for me. And I think for many people, it's hard to say no, especially women, it's hard to say no. And that was a really great lesson because I was really empowered and proud of myself for saying no, honoring what I said I was going to do. And some of the people I said, look, I've committed and I will not say no or say yes until six months. And that will be, you know, the end of May. And I said, if you still want me as a speaker, come back to me then and I will let you know yes or no. All right. But you need to, I need to honor myself in that. So nice. I think that was a really big one for me. Um, spiritually was awesome because I think I went into it in a really good uh, frame of mind. On As I said, as I was meditating every day, I was doing, I call it doing my inner work and really monitoring where my thoughts were and uh, consuming information that I knew would be beneficial. And that's another key piece, right? It's what are we allowing in through our ears, our eyes, uh, the energy of the people around. Um, and, and actually, this is another funny story. Because I think this is this goes to the whole thing that it's so easy to get into the negative. And before I had my amputation, I literally only fully committed two days before. And I wanted to let all my friends know I didn't want to forget anybody and, you know, have someone's nose out of joint. And at the same time, I wanted to be very clear with what I did want. So mm-hmm. what I and what I didn't want. And so I actually posted to YouTube and put it on my Facebook and things like that on what I did want. And I said exactly what I was going through. What would be helpful for me is pray, meditate, see me well. You know, these are the things, peace, love, joy, faith, wholeness, gratitude, you know, all of this. And I said, that's what I want you to hold the space for me. And, uh, and, and if it's anything other than that, please just don't connect to me. Just don't connect. Nice. To me. And yeah. I'll tell you, I opened up my heart and it was feeling like it was going to burst because everyone was focused on the good stuff. Right. And it wasn't the negative stuff. So I knew I was upregulating in ways that most people don't. And I think, again, we know that for many of us, uh, when we get into survival modes, like many people are now, we get, we contract, right. We start to go, we become the, the victim, if you will, we become the hunted, if you will, because we're looking for the, the foreigner, the foreign, uh, the, the, the predator and the predator comes in many different forms, i.e. a banker, not, you know, not truly, but I figuratively, you have bills to pay, you've got food to get, you got toilet paper. Those are all predator, right? Those are all things that are on the outside. And so when I started to meditate and really come from this inside out of the nothingness, I'm saying I'm drawing, I'm going to say I'm drawing energy from this this field of intelligence, this quantum field, it was a very different feeling. And uh, and right now, even with this whole scenario we're in, I'm in a very different feeling than most people are, than many people are, but not my friends. My friends are all in very similar feelings that we are. Yes, yes.
0: Well, I mean, it's amazing because, uh, you know, obviously physically you were going through something, but thank God for your other pillars, you know, your mental stability, your spiritual practice and of course that really helped with the emotions um i can't i cannot um imagine what one would go through but how would one actually explain afterwards to the grandchildren because I know you're just such a giver when it comes to your grandkids as well. Uh, what kind of questions did you have to
1: face, and what was your explanation? Oh, those are—that's a great question. Well, you know what was interesting is um, I went through it with them before I actually had my amputation, and I—I I, because they were smaller, the younger ones, I just said I'm going to get a robot leg, which is going to be like so cool you know nice. and um and so and i said do you have any questions and and so the questions that came after were very natural questions on does it hurt you know what do you do with it you know this is a good one where did they put your foot when they took it off and i'm like i actually <laughs> don't know i do know i mean they would have dissected it and looked at the pathology and then they destroy it and you know and all that sort of stuff but it's a great question for a kid and one of them i teased one of my grandsons and i said oh, they put it in the foot drawer. <laughs> and then he's looking at me seriously. I'm like, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know? And so that was fun. And, um, you know, it was really just uh, literally honesty is, was the best thing. And, uh, what else? Uh, when I finally had my prosthetics, it was really cool. I said, go ahead, step on my foot, you know? And, nice. um, yeah, so we had a lot of fun with that. And then when I started seeing patients, because I see children, it was the same thing. And I had a lot of fun with them as well, because I, would, I wasn't hiding it. it wasn't, and the parents all knew, of course, because we had to stop care for people for a while while I'm having this done. And uh, so when I, I wasn't hiding it, and I don't, obviously, if patients are coming to me, the, I don't want the, the thinking to be about me because that's the wrong way around. It's supposed to be about them. But I knew that there would be curiousness in children and we figured out, you know, we're going to deal with it straight on. And so a lot of kids were, I had fun with them and I would literally just initially with my walker and I would just say, I would move my leg and it would be, when I, before I actually had a, a, a prosthetic, and, it, and I'd wiggle it in the air. And I'm like, how come I keep missing the soccer ball when I try and keep kicking the soccer ball? And the kids are like, because you're missing a foot. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and, and it was good questions. Like, did it hurt when they chopped it off? And I'm like, no, it didn't. I couldn't feel a thing. And uh, um, yeah, so there were, it was typical kid types of questions. And with the grandkids, then it was sort of, uh, initially they were a little nervous with touching it. And then, uh, and then it was sort of again because I'm so good with it. They were all good with it as well. And and how important did you feel that that
0: was that was for the children to be able to actually communicate what they didn't know or understand? Like for other other listeners out there, because the, you know, as adults, we seem to think, oh, they're kids. You know, we're trying to protect them. We don't want them to know. But yet, you know, you're the best person to answer this question.
1: Right. So, my experience is that when it's so obvious, and especially when it's family, if uh, how I look at it is that they're asking questions inside their head, anyways. So, why not have them ask you the question and then they can have a better understanding? Because kids are in that gathering knowledge, right? And then they decide, is this a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how people respond to it. So, if I had been angry and frustrated and upset by my amputation and a victim that energy is what would have been imprinted on them but for me it's very very different so they have a very different experience and it's the same thing too when people come up to me and they see and some people are quite blunt on just saying you know what happened to you well that's kind of a rude way of saying it but yes. at the same time it's really their way of asking a curious question and one of the things that as, a, and as amputees, we like to say to people is, may I ask you, and it's fine to say no, what happened, right? If people are curious, because then that allows people to say, no, I just don't want to go there. And, you know, it was funny, I was in the States, uh, getting a new prosthetic. And I'm in Oklahoma sitting where I'm getting a specialized prosthetic that was made for me. And then I'm walking along the street with my old prosthetic on and these two women come up, and they stop and they smile at me. And they say, ma'am. Thank you so much for your service. Meaning military, right? They just made this assumption. And here I am a Canadian. It was not related to military service whatsoever. And I remember thinking, you know, that was a real compliment to any person that would have been in service. And rather than going through the whole story, I thought all I said was, You're welcome. You know? Yes, Thank yes. you for your service. You're very welcome. And yeah. and that's the whole thing is allowing people to ask the right questions um, and in ways that are um allow for a conversation and it's very different from what we see these days you know we don't see the art of conversation quite as much as the art of um, accusation i'll put it that way and that
0: will be another show with you because (laughs) i know you're a wealth of knowledge now liz I know that um, you and I have discussed that you were the first person, right? The first person yes. in Canada as a as a child chiropractor. Can you can you um, elaborate on that? Because I know that there's a lot of people. You know, they have this big question mark. Oh, I'd never see a chiropractor. But just because we're in the moment and we're talking of little people and 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 the significance okay. of you being able to share that
1: because you were the first right well i will i'll specify certain ways is that um chiropractors have always seen children since its inception but with some extra formalized training with a lot of knowledge that was coming out especially on how when we are dealing with the movement of the spine how that changes the information as the spine is is um coordinating information or if you will our spine is our our access point into the nervous system and then when we are working with the spine how that informs the brain and then the brain depending on what's going on in balanced brain or unbalanced brain that can inform a number of other things um, that may seem unrelated but seem to have some interesting effects, but not necessarily always predictable in the standpoint that I'm not going to say that if a, if a child comes into me with difficulty breathing, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to fix the breathing, because that would be, first of all, out of my scope. Second of all, I can't promise it anyways, and that wouldn't be the purpose of the care. But for example, if a child was having difficulty breathing, there might be a lot of things that I'm looking at with respect to stress on the ribcage, stress on the muscles of the ribcage, that are also informing how breathing is occurring. And it could be somewhat posturally related because we know certain postures can improve or, or reduce ventilatory capacity. It could be related to some movement issues with the ribs and the spine itself, and then it can also be related to how that brain is also functioning with respect to a couple of other things. So, it's a fascinating thing, and we are critiqued a lot. And I would say that we're critiqued most oftenly because it's people that are unwilling to have that deep connection point and or go through the lessons, uh, not the lessons, the education on why we do what we do as chiropractors. And so a lot of it is really to allow the body to uh, interpret and respond to the world through a healthier nervous system. And that may be facilitated through manual therapies that we do. It may be facilitated uh, with sort of diet and nutrition. It may be with more sort of some mental uh, mindset work and things along those lines. And it may be very much you're doing a lot of co cross-care um, cross with other professionals that specialize in certain areas, OTs, PTs, speech therapists, things like that as well. And so a lot of people don't realize that the obviously the techniques we use are very much modified for children. And uh, we do a full history. We do an examination. We have a report of findings. We go through inform, informed consent, what to expect, what are, what's the purpose of the care, what are the outcomes we're going to measure, And then if everything is a go, then we will do the care and then we measure the results as we're going forward. So there's the, uh, you know, there's obvious things that kids have lots of bumps and spills and things like that, which those are the easy, easy things to understand that some kids are not uh, balancing out properly or rebounding properly. Uh, But then there might be other things that we see, you know, children that have what we call disorganized, not we, what's known as the literature is disorganized crawling, so they butt scoot, and that's not, that's a little bit out of order for what we should be seeing. It could be completely normal for that child. It might not be. You don't know. Could be that you're seeing a child breastfeeding on one side, but not from the other side, and that might be related to the head not being able to turn properly. Um, it may be related to, uh, well, another example is crawling, and you might see a child this crawling, moving one arm and not really moving that other arm quite the same. That could be related to something going on in the lower neck or the upper back. So there's all these things that make a lot of sense when you understand structure, function, function, structure. And uh, chiropractic, without getting into too much detail, We have a very different viewpoint, or I'm going to put traditional chiropractic, principled chiropractic, has a little bit of a different spin on things. And ultimately, bodies are designed to be well, and if they're not well, then the question is, what is in the environment that's changing that body from expressing its full potential? Mm -hmm. And that's what we really like to look for. No, I love that. That's
0: uh, awesome. And thank you for sharing that. That wasn't something that, you know, we were anticipating on having conversation <laughs> over, but because we have an expert, why not? Yeah. Now, I know that you, sp- you spoke about listening to the voice within. So getting back to, you know, what you've been through, can you first touch on what is the voice within? Right. And also,
1: how would one use it? Really good. So I like to say there's kind of these two different voices. There's the educated brain voice, which is going through that busy mind. Should I, shouldn't I? You're you know juggling all these balls in the air for all the things that you have to do. You're second guessing, third guessing, you're anticipating, you're defending, you're doing all this stuff. And it's from an educated brain. But when you get all of that out of the way, you kind of sit deep and to me it's really heart centered and I love that sort of a lot of the heart math work on this is when you get into your inner voice and it's sort of like this quiet inner voice and you have to train yourself to listen to it and I want to call it the intuitive voice or the um, innate voice the inborn voice the little voice Um, and I say the little voice or the little voice within because there's all this noise going on And that's what we have to tune out. So whether it's you're tuning it out to get this inner voice coming through to you um, when it sort of speaks to you, it's a matter of maybe through meditation. Some people it might be doing breath work, like your Kundalini or Wim Hof method or whatever it might be that way. For some people it's going to be having some quiet time in nature. There's a lot of different ways people can have that inner voice But it feels like it's your truth on the inside. That's really what I want to say. And it feels like it's so naturally right. And it usually is birthed with a feeling of just absolute certainty of the heart that is informing the mind. And uh, and it's usually not fully, for me, it's not fully formed. It's a feeling of I feel like I'm on the right path when I feel that way, when I feel ease. And I know I'm off my path when I feel resistance or lack of ease or tension, or I have to start to force and work and control and all these other things. So to me, the inner voice and that little voice within is that uh, intuitive peace or the moment of inspiration where sometimes it's like, where did that come from? <laughs> like picking it out of the air. Yes. But it feels so absolutely uh, honest and full of integrity for you. So that to me is that inner voice. And um, and
0: as you can see that you can touch on any subject matter, Liz definitely knows any anything that you want to discuss. So we are definitely, you know, the reason I ask you that is because a lot of people, don't quite comprehend that there is an inner voice and of course we are going to be working together a little bit more than what we have been we're going to have Liz come back I know she does beautiful work with with kids and with gratitude and with breathing I mean we couldn't ask for more so uh, that's my commitment to the listener and uh, so you're not going to get out of that so we are (laughs) definitely going to have you uh, come in and, and do some more teachings now we're going to fast forward, and we're going to bring you to the present. Um, anything at all that is your biggest challenge currently? Is there anything that is holding you back? Because and I and and I know you. You yeah. always find you find a way to get through everything, and and the beauty is that, uh, uh, you know, obviously, you know the audience probably picked up on this, that Liz is kind of like a hero to me because she always comes out at the other end with a great big huge smile and she's more than willing to share everything that she went through. But still that question, is there anything that you kind of wish you could do but you can't?
1: Um, I can't say there's anything I wish I could do that I can't. But what I will say is that I have still caught myself getting pulled into this environment of fear. And it's usually through connecting with, you know, colleagues or patients or whatever it might be. And I will say that uh, it's been a beautiful lesson and a great opportunity to really hold the space for myself to protect and really try to up regulate myself so that the opposite message is going out. I'm more aware of doing the work even the the need to do the work. I don't want to say the need. The wish to do the the love of doing the work is more important now in asking people to become more conscious in who do you want to be today? Who do you want to be right now? And one of the things I've been saying for the last 5 4 weeks whatever Uh, I finish off a lot of my talks with, are we behaving in ways that would make our grandchildren and maybe seven generations away out proud of us? Are we behaving in a way that future generations can be really proud of our behavior? And um, I think that's really important. And I think that if people have more time right now, it's a matter of what why not use your time to be more, uh, more conscious versus ha- being more habitually old pattern? And to me, habitually old pattern for me would be like wanting to watch television or wanting to do something where I go into trance. I just, I consume information without really thinking about what I'm consuming. And so rather than getting into the naysayers, go into the hay sayers, you know, the happy Scenario, and it doesn't mean that the other stuff isn't happening. I'm not saying to ignore it, it's walking through the fear to making the fear work to your advantage on who do you want to become, what lessons am I learning about myself, and uh, but not from a negative, from a positive, right? So instead of saying, Oh man, I should have, you know, not been spending my money on that and you know, beating yourself up. Uh, it would be a matter of what I'm learning about myself is I now have an opportunity to find new ways of saving money or downsizing or what I thought was important here. You know what, this is what's really important to me and what a blessing that is to be able to go through that process and generate those, those things that you can be thankful for because that centers us even more. And it creates more of that because when we resonate in that energy in that vibration, that's what we see, right? So if I, if I vibrate in the energy of anger, then I see angry people. If I, if I uh, vibrate in looking for random acts of kindness, and I wanna say, where are the random acts of kindness? All of a sudden I start seeing them all over the place. Easiest way to explain this, if I tell you, don't think of a pink elephant, what did you just think of, right? Or if you're focused on getting a red car, all you're going to see is red cars. So it's, again, the the energy flows where the mind goes, where the awareness, where the attention is. So be very clear on where your attention is. Wonderful.
0: Well, there you go. I mean, uh, it's amazing. You amaze me. I mean, you're living life to the fullest and you're sharing and you're uplifting humanity. I mean, who else could we have asked for uh, on the show? Any parting words, anything that you want to share, and also uh, in that share, if you can let our listeners know if they want to get a hold of you, how would one be able to do that as
1: well? Sure. So, let me think. I think what what I do want people to recognize is that you are more powerful and more creative than you've ever been led to believe. And what my wish for you is, is for you to find how you can best express that. And that's what I would really want for you. And if you want to connect with me, I probably the easiest now is on uh, Instagram. And it's pretty easy. It's just Liz Anderson Peacock or D-R-L-I-Z-A-P. Facebook, I would say, but I'm at my max on Facebook. I think I have to go over to the the other side of Facebook, which I'm not sure I want to do that. But Instagram is certainly very easy and uh, just let me know who you are because I don't necessarily reply to everybody because there's some interesting characters out there.
0: (laughs) Oh, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so, so much. And uh, that is it for today's show. We definitely will have uh, uh, Dr. Liz back. And of course, I'm Solyndra Buller, your host of Uplifting Humans, where we honor empower, educate, and inspire the listener with real stories and expert advice. Please do share. Please also join our Facebook group and spread the good word. And you have yourselves a wonderful day. Thank you.